happy edition of Turnstiles and Tribulations. I'm here with Chris again, and we're going to be talking the Arsenal taking on the Vermin from just up the road, that team from Middlesex, Tottenham Hotspur. Um, Chris, we're just going to do the usual. We'll jump straight in. We don't need to faff about too much, even though there has been an international break. and Maybe later on we can catch up with what people are doing, but we've got to answer one of the most important questions out there and no, not what is inside a black hole or what is the meaning of life, but what do you think of Tottenham? Shit. And what do you think of shit? Tottenham. Thank you. That's all right. (laughs) Oh, well, a blinding game, a blinding result, and uh, we'll, we'll get on to talking about that in a minute. For me and the watching it here in Canada, 4.30am kickoff. Unfortunately, the pub didn't open to uh, to have it on, so I just stayed awake because I was I was so full of excitement. Frank was like, oh, when, when will you come to bed? And I was just like, I don't even know if I will. Uh, I was just too full of excited and happy energy that we've got a derby and that we're top of the league and that we're playing well and just felt we were going to win. So no sleep for me. Stayed up through the night and uh, and watched it. What about what about you? What was your process for the game? Uh, I was up relatively early. I think it was again excitement, a bit of nerves, confidence. But you know, as always with these games, like it means so much. It's the first one I look for when the fixtures come out. When is it home and away? Um, so I was up early, thinking about it, listening to all the previews, reading as much as I could on Twitter trying to find out who was injured, who wasn't, um, any piece of, any slice of information you can get hold of. Uh, and then just that, that hour before when the, when the teams came in, just not not nerves, actually, I was quite calm. I was quite calm. I believed in us. So I was just excited to, to watch us because of the, the great form we've been in. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we did get some team news from Arteta's press conference because he said when he got asked about Zinchenko and Partey and Erdegaard, are they in the match day squad? And he said they're in the team. And at the time I was like, is that a slip of the tongue or is he referring to the fact that the team is a whole and it's not the starting 11 that he was alluding to? Or was he genuinely saying those three names are on the team sheet for tomorrow? Yeah, I think that was him saying that they were in the squad and I think he worded it slightly wrong uh, but it's weird that nobody really picked up on it because like, I, I heard him saying that I thought in the team like is he, is he giving out an early lineup? but I don't think that's what he meant but he did smirk so who, who knows maybe it was a bit of mind games I, I felt that he was saying like he was giving actual bit of information like this is genuine. I'm actually giving you a bit of a bone here. And like you say, everyone missed it. And no one, no one really took... I, I immediately thought, he's saying they're in the team and he's got a grin on his face. They're starting. And I was like, great. So um, that, that for me was my bit of pre-match there. But uh, yeah, very exciting, very exciting. So the team is announced um, and... What did you think of that side? Were you, were you happy with that 11? Is that the best 11 you think best we, 11. Uh, we could have had um, out yesterday? To, to counter the sort of threats that Spurs put out, 
I thought maybe he might go with Tierney, but at the same time, it's a fact of of life that Arteta is this stubborn manager, and Plan A is is the way to go with it. So believe in the team, believe that you're going to have the ball, and Zinchenko is the one you want when you've got the ball. So to me, it was like a toss up of really deciding whether you change people like Ben White and bring in Tommy Asu or bring in Tierney. But we've got such a strong strong squad really doesn't matter who the t- who we put out at the moment. I've got such faith in whoever's on the pitch to do the job. And I don't think there's a huge amount of difference between them. Yeah, they're different sorts of players, but the intensity they're going to give and the quality they're going to give is not going to change that much. So for me, I, I see 11 Arsenal players on the pitch. It doesn't really matter who's there. I think they're going to put out the performance we need. What about yourself? Did you, did you want any changes? Yeah. No, I just wanted the those players to come in. If it was Tierney instead of Zinchenko, I was fine with that. I wasn't going to be upset because I thought Tierney played really well in the last game. I just wasn't sure about if he would have an injury hangover or not because they said it was a head injury. And, and you never know. You can't mess about with head injuries and concussions. Like In my professional line of work with snowboarding and stuff like that, you can't mess around with those kind of things. I've seen that firsthand. So um, I wasn't sure if he would play based on a concussion protocol, depending on the severity of that head knock. So uh, that position for me was interchangeable and I didn't mind who played. I had no preference. Uh, everything else was, yeah, how I felt it should be. Like Ben White has done nothing to lose his place and Tommy Asu, although playing for Japan, still needs to do it for Arsenal, I guess, in the Europa League games to displace Ben and now as as number one right back at the minute. Um, midfield, yeah, it was just making sure that Partey was fully fit. Did we need to manage him to like 60 minutes or, or whatever it might be? So, um, and then, yeah, the same with the, the attacking players. Having Erdegaard back again, do we need to manage him? He played a fair few minutes and for Norway, but uh, thankfully it didn't look like we needed to manage him. He was able to contribute the whole game. Saka hadn't played the whole of the second England game, although single-handedly he came on and turned that game around because they were absolutely woeful without him. And in the previous game, just FYI with England, they were woeful when they played him as a left wing back. Don't do that. So, um, and then obviously the three Gabriels had had their feet up for two weeks at Coley. Um, which would have been really nice for them. Saliba had played for France, but I think he hadn't played two ninety minutes, so that was good. Uh, Ramsdale also didn't play, so yeah, strongest lineup. There's no one else that comes in and does anything else for me. And from front to back, I thought they were all excellent. They were all excellent. Uh, you, you could start with Ramsdale, for example. I think, what was it, in the first 15 minutes when after our absolute dominance of the first 10 minutes where Tottenham couldn't even get to the halfway line and then eventually they did get a, a free kick and Ramsdale makes that really nice one-handed save from the uh, Richarlison effort. He was top-notch and on it because those are the kind of uh, chances that you, you could see goalkeepers not being strong enough to stop or not palming it around the post but just scooping it into the net so um, 
I was really pleased with uh, with Ramsdale's contribution, even though it wasn't huge. Um, the things that he did do were really, really good. Um, what did you think of the back line and, and their performance? I'm going to be a little bit controversial here. Ooh. Do you know what? the that's, That sort of game is all about result for me. I don't care how we get to the end goal. I just want to beat Spurs so much. Right. So I don't care whether we cheat to win. I just want to win that game. <laughs> the rest of the season... I think it's about performances and making sure you have a, a process and everything. That game is just win, 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 win. So I'm so happy with the with the result of that game. But having said that, there were things in the game I didn't like, especially in that first half. Ooh. And there were things in that game that worried me a little bit and reminded me of the Man United game a lot. And I know you said there that Spurs didn't have much in that first 10 minutes. I thought there was two or three moments where they were a little bit inefficient in getting the ball into the final third. Things broke down when they tried to make counter-attacks, but there were opportunities for them. And the first half, although we had control of the ball, that was going to happen, right? That's Conte's set-up. He sets back. He sits back. He's got everybody behind the ball and they try and counter as much as possible. And I thought that there were a couple of opportunities that Spurs had when I think Sun overhit one of the passes. They uh, they had a ball over to Perisic where he, he got a shot away. And there were little signs for me that we weren't quite on it and we weren't quite at that perfection level that we, as fans and like as a, as a manager, I guess Arteta as well, was looking for everything to be perfect and to have absolute control. And watching it, because it because it spurs and because it means so much, any little percent that they have where I think that they might create something, you worry, right, more than you would in a normal game. And I thought there were a few of those in the first half. And it came from the fact that although we were in the right position sometimes, I just thought we were slightly off of it. You, you mentioned there about Thomas Partey. I don't know how fit he was. Yeah, And that's going to sound stupid because he scored a fantastic goal and we'll get on to discussing the rest of the game and stuff, I guess, in a moment. But there were a few signs for me from his movement and from his positioning in that first half that he wasn't fully fit. And he's not limping around the pitch, but he's just not the aggressive, pressing monster, octopus, legs and arms everywhere that he normally is or when he's at his best. For their goal, and we'll get to okay, their goal, he gets sort of run past by Sun, but there was a couple of moments where I thought he was just not himself. So, yeah, not to, not to be down on the team, but I wasn't so, so happy with everything I saw. There were points in it that worried me, and like I say, reminded me of the Man United game. And if Spurs were a little bit more efficient, then I think we could have conceded first. Hmm. Interesting. I am surprised that you've, kind of gone with that and I <laughs> I want to start as a Debbie Downer and then we can build up to the fantastic thing let me ask you then let me ask you then did you feel like that in the moment or even in the first half an hour after the game or did you feel like that 24 hours removed so we're recording this just after today's Premier League fixtures have happened and you've had time to see 
punditry review is that comment coming from what you saw and felt in the moment or is that coming from 24 hours of other people talking about it that was in the moment so that was watching it i was nervous in that first half and there were a couple of moments that got me out of my seat in sort of frustration or worry um, when i saw them looking like they could do us some damage and i think they were a little bit inefficient like overall i think we played to about 70 percent of what we can do but i think spurs were awful and it made things easier for us and i don't know whether it was we didn't need to go to 100 percent or whether we couldn't get to 100 percent this is really interesting. This isn't where I thought this conversation was going to start. It really isn't. I, I had a different feeling about it all. I, I share the nervous anticipation any time we play Tottenham because um, it's a game of football. Anything can happen. I, I was out yesterday with some friends after the game and she said to me, well, you should have been, you know, so uh, you should have known Arsenal were going to win anyway and planned your weekend because the weekend was on hold. When we play Tottenham, especially Saturday for early kickoff, the weekend is on hold. I might be sitting in a cloud of uh, anger and, and whatnot or everything is roses, bunnies are playing in fields of flowers and everything is great and that's what happened. And I said to her, I said, no, you're like you can't because... She is a United fan, and I said, like the game against United, we totally outplayed you, but thanks to a referee who took away a perfectly legitimate goal, that ruined the weekend. So I said, although I felt we were going to win, I thought we were... I just, I don't know. I Yes, as a fan, you think you're going to win a lot of the time, but I don't know. I did just really... I think we were... I knew we were going to win this one, should I say. So uh, that that's what I said, like, it is a game of football, though. Anything can happen. So I share that nervous anticipation that at any time something can turn, something can go wrong, a freak goal can happen. And you're right, Tottenham definitely struggled with their final balls a lot. I think Conte might have even mentioned it in, in his post-match comments that they struggled with that. But... For me, I'd rather focus on, so I thought this isn't quite how I wanted to approach it. I wanted to come at it a different way, but I'll talk about it now that Saliba had an amazing game yet again for Arsenal uh, and was my man of the match. At the same time, getting on to Xhaka, who got man of the match and his story of redemption. Now, you have listened to me for the last seven years talking about Granite Xhaka and not in a good way. And I, I'm, for people who know me, I'm not the kind of person who likes to uh, have to change my mind or be wrong or anything like that. As, but he is, he's still, he's won. I think he's won me over. He's not winning. I think he's won me over. Wow, this is huge. This is huge, um, but we'll come to that maybe again a bit later. Uh, I wanted to talk about Saliba and that he seemed to do the mopping up job for us 
with a lot of our defensive actions. So even though there is obviously the known threat of how Tottenham want to play, sucker us in, hit us on the break, I just felt that at no point did any of their front three have anything that troubled him in terms of his defensive actions, whether they got the ball through or not. I thought Richarlison was probably their best and most tricky-looking player. I didn't think Son had a particularly good game, and Harry Kane was kept in Saliba's pocket. I think he only had two touches in the box, and one of them was a penalty. So I think... Yeah, I, I think we just defended well. I know what you're saying about like the United thing, because they play in a similar way and they punished us for it. But I, there weren't really times other than the build-up to the penalty that we were in, we were sixes and sevens and people out of position. And we just seemed to have a bit of a funny couple of minutes there that led to that. So very interesting, very interesting that you're, you're in that kind of uh, thought from it. So, yeah, okay, all right. Um, you mentioned Partey and, and his fitness. I, I don't know if he is fit, just generally. I, 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 yeah, I, I always worry about it. I mean, you watch the Arsenal all or, all or Nothing and every time that they had conversations and things that were happening in the treatment room, he was always there. So um, <laughs> that's his favourite spot. His heat map at the training ground is the treatment room. Um, so there is that worry. Yeah. And maybe let's... I, I want, We've got to bring this into the light, my friend. We've got to bring this up because it's a 3-1 win against Tottenham. So let's get on to it finally happening. Two seasons and a bit into his time at Arsenal. And he's been teasing us with it. Teasing and teasing. He started off with 30 yards over the bar. And then he brought it to 20 yards over the bar. And then it was 20 yards wide of the post. And over the two years, he slowly, slowly zoned in on getting one of these long-range efforts on target. He did score his first goal, which was a horrible, ugly header from three yards and I was so disappointed that that was his first goal for Arsenal when that <laughs> happened because of the teasing of the uh, the worldie and in recent months he has been getting these shots on target and Ben White who I felt played really well all game like I say they, they all did but a lot of the work he did is, um, is unheroic work all the overlapping to try and move players out of position and things like that he, at this point, hadn't overlapped Saka, uh, Son, and was it Emerson, who were two-upping two on them, Saka. Ben drifts into the half space, into that inside channel, and is open for the ball. And then he lays it across. I wasn't expecting a first-time shot. Normally, when Partia has his shots, he uh, will take a touch and then push it out in front of him to hit. So that first time in step swinging inside the ball and the ball moves such a, you know, it's not Roberto Carlos or anything, but that was such an amount of bend on that ball and such power as well. 
Thomas Partey, uh, my neighbours who would have been sleeping their heads off upstairs uh, for 48 when that goal went in, probably got woken up and I was jumping around the living room. And yeah, Thomas Partey's finally scored the worldie that we all know that he can. And oh, mate, that felt so good because for me it helped set it wasn't really setting the tone. It was the icing on the cake for the tone that we were setting with how we swarmed them for most of that first half. We we really did. We pinned them back. They couldn't even get to the halfway line. And so um, that's why, because I felt that dominance was there, I'm still, as I talk, taken aback by you you talking about Tottenham didn't play well. <laughs> we don't have to focus on that. Um, look, it, that was a that was a fantastic hit. Like you say, we've waited a long time to see that ball hit the net from from outside the box, and he's done it at international level loads. Mm-hmm. Even since we signed him, he scored loads of goals yep. for Ghana. I think in the African Cup of Nations, he got two. He's decent from range for them, and he he definitely got a, a few for Atletico as well. So it was about time, and what a game to do it in because. That will go down in in legend a little bit, to especially for those who were there to have seen it because we've we've seen him miss so many from that that point. But that goal like is that's such a really well worked goal because of Saka's sort of patience and his decision making there. I've I've been a little bit critical of Saka a couple of times um, this season just for his decision making, I guess, but not necessarily going right foot or left foot cutting back and passing to Odegaard a lot and not being maybe brave enough with the ball. And mm. this was a moment where he times that pass to Ben White really well. He doesn't just give him the ball. He gives, he takes a few more touches and he puts the defenders back a little bit further, a little bit further. It just drags Tottenham back into their shell. And those two midfielders, I think it's uh, Benton Core and uh, Hoiberg, they drift even deeper, closer to the defenders. And then when it gets... Um, moved across to Ben White and then across the party. It just gives him space to get that shot away. And without Saka delaying a little bit, I, I think the space for party isn't there. And I think even Odegaard said after the, the game that they've been working on that movement into to party or to getting somebody to get shot from there because they realised that Spurs drop quite deep in, in those sort of moments. And you know if you can get them back in front of their goal then there's space to get shots away. And, you know, we've been a little bit, I think, more confident in taking shots, I guess, from outside the box than we have been in other seasons when we've we've kept trying to work it into the box all the time. And things, great things can happen if you shoot. Thomas Partey scores worldies if you shoot. <laughs> you know, so does Ogard. Or you get a little deflection or something comes of it. You know, the ball pinballs around and it falls to somebody. Sometimes it's just worth taking a chance from there. And it felt like this season we've got some more confidence to do it. And it, it feels like part of the game plan as well, if there's space in those areas. I think Gr- Granite Xhaka had a shot from outside the box that was close to the to the post. Really good effort. Tierney had one um, later yes. on. Zinchenko, I think, had yeah. one as well. Like, we're, we're brave enough to take opportunities there because great things can happen. So, you know. I'm all for it. I'm a big fan of that too. I remember 
years ago when we signed our Sharvin and at the time I was like, yes, finally someone will shoot from outside the box. And within what felt like a month, he was coached out of not shooting <laughs> from outside the box. And I was so livid about it. But um, we've gone through it with Riziki. We've gone through it from loads of those midfielders who were, came to us with um, great CVs of scoring goals in top corners. And then <laughs> it's like, do not shoot until you can literally pass into the goal. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, you're right. We we are shooting from there. And it seems measured because, um, like you say, we've got someone who's able to drive into the box like Jesus. In that first half, there was a move where he condensed the Henri. He's gone past one, he's gone past two. Whereas Henri did it and he took a run up from the halfway line. Uh Jesus took a run from the edge of the 18-yard box and did it to two players and then got his little toe poke off that uh, Lloris did manage to smother. The separation, I thought, you mentioned how Tottenham dropped deep uh, in those situations. And yeah, I think that we helped, we created that separation from them to have the space. Like you mentioned, Saka holds onto the ball. He then drew Son and the other defender in really tight next to each other and they backed off him a bit at the same time, allowing the space to White and then over to Partey. I mean, that move had even originated as well from the left side. So the ball was played over. So we had Tottenham pinned back at that time. And uh, yeah, I think we just kind of hypnotised them into standing off us even more. And like you say, allowing that space for that shot to happen and yeah, what a screamer to everyone who was there. They would have absolutely loved that. So um, was uh, was very pleased. And we're 1-0 up, and deservedly so. I thought we were all over them. And yeah, although there was the occasional opportunity for danger from them because of how they do play, I still felt pretty good um, until... Until we didn't, until we did have that kind of weird moment of making life difficult for ourselves. We just seemed to not be able to get the ball down and, and clear it in our normal fashion. And I think I would give zero credit to Tottenham on creating that. I think it was all us, to be honest, and maybe that's in alignment with what you were thinking and what you are alluding to earlier, that it was mistakes that we made that cost us a goal. Um, I don't think there's any argument about the fact it's a penalty, right? Yeah, not at all. It's um, it's a rash tackle, isn't it, from from Gabriel? And it's not the first we've seen of him. This not this is a discussion that maybe we can have after you. You know, you're going to finish discussing the goal here. But it, does it feel like he's the weakest link in our defence? Do you think that this is this is not the first time he's made a mistake and it's not always been a tackle. We had the um, mishit back pass against Wolves that, that cost us a goal there. There's been a few moments from him where he's been shaky and he's been reckless and he goes to ground quite a lot. And I don't want to by any means pick, pick him out as at fault and get him out of the team and it's a witch hunt and this is the next player that we... You know, I don't want to granite Xhaka him, but <laughs> at the same time, I do think there's a conversation to be had about whether he's in the best form at the moment and whether there's another solution to that issue. 
What do you think? I agree with you that he has had these mishaps. But the one thing I thought as soon as he gave the penalty away was he'll now go out the other end later in the game and score. Because often he's atoned for those mishaps uh, within the same game. So he's 24 and he is still learning. He's still, you know, he's making some of the same mistakes more than once. So that isn't fabulous. You'd rather that once you've made a mistake, don't make that same one again. Mistakes are fine. They're going to happen, but try and learn from it. So if you've done that dodgy back pass, right, don't end up getting caught out with a dodgy back pass again. If you have an instance where you think you can get the ball down against a very good pressing attacker and you think you can play around them because you're technically superior to them and then you get dispossessed and they run off and score, you know, don't make that mistake again, etc., etc. So the tackle that he makes, I think it is just desperation. I think it is just like, oh, no, I need to do this for my team. Maybe he didn't even need to make the, the attempt to tackle because Saliba was right there. Um, but it was a dangerous moment because of the ball pinging around in the box at that time. I don't think we need to be on the plane of, oh, do we start rub holding? Oh, do we move Ben White back to centre-back and put Tomiyasu in? I don't think we're there yet. So, for me... Yeah, one to monitor, but I don't think it needs instant fixing right now, is how I would put it. Yeah, that's fair. I guess that's fair. The other player who makes... Well, there's a few mistakes in that goal, positioning-wise. I think we should make a foul a little bit earlier. I think when we give the ball away, I can't remember whether it's Odegaard or Saka in that one, but where it breaks down, I think, is not it's not dealt with at the right um, in the right position there. And then there's that miss hit from Xhaka as well as the ball comes back where he sort of leaves it short and that's where Gabriel doesn't know whether to come in and, and, and make a tackle first and Richarlison gets in front. I just think there's a lot of issues with that goal and it's a worry for me that there's so many, so many issues with it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, but I'd rather that it's like ten issues in the build up to one goal than one issue in, in one issue that builds up to ten goals. Yeah, you know, at yeah, least we I, got I see what you mean. all of the mistakes out in that one go, and uh, and then yeah, also with the penalty, I I'd much rather that it's that clear and obvious. Like there is zero way that is not a penalty, and as much as I hate the fact it's a penalty. I've got no argument with the decision. So I'm happy to not have to be up in arms about a referee, which is great. So the uh, Hurricane steps up. Did you think Ramsdale had a shot at no. saving that or did you think all day long that's going Absolutely on? Absolutely no chance. I said to Frankie, because she did drag herself out of bed to watch the game too. Um, good honour for that. She, I said... It's going to the, the top right corner. So I was wrong with, with that because I thought he was going to go corner like he often does. I said he hasn't got the balls to go down the middle. Um, so I was like, I was like come on, <laughs> Rambo, him out. do it. 
Yeah, uh, clearly. Um, so I obviously had a feeling he was going down the middle. Um, and yeah, Ramsdale, uh, he, you know, he went as you should as a keeper. You've got to make that decision. You've got to stick with it because it takes a lot of balls as a keeper to not move and go down the middle. And Harry Kane's penalty history, I'm sure, uh, uh, with the Premier League coverage, you don't get those additional graphics that you do on like BT Sport or Sky, whoever was covering it in the UK. Um, but uh, you don't get those like dots that pop up on the goal where he normally scores them from. But I know down the middle wouldn't be wouldn't be a, a place that he picks them off. And so it's 1-1 and it's just before half time. But I, I didn't feel that we went in with our heads down because of the dominance of that first half where Martinelli had been extremely lively. Gabby Jesus had been really good. Erdegaard had been f- pretty free-flowing. Uh, Saka had been working hard. Um, I just felt that we still were the team on top, even though we were level at that halftime. That's funny because I, I had that frustrate, frustrated feel that I've seen this happen before. Especially, it feels like every time we play them, we give Kane a penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be interested to see the, the numbers on that. I haven't got them, but it feels like he's always scoring penalties against us and not much else. And we just give, we just give things away. And it felt like that goal was just complete, completely unnecessary. And that's why I don't just want to want to focus on Gabriel for that, that mistake because I thought loads of players could have done something to prevent it in the build up. Um, so I was frustrated at half time. I just thought, you know, we've blown our we've blown our chance. Like Spurs are, you know what you're getting with them, right? With with Spurs and with Conte at the moment, and they are perfectly set up to play against us. Like they want the other team to have the ball. They want the other team to try and work it, and then they're going to try and break on you. And it's like um, a counter puncher against like a presser pressing boxer, isn't it? So they're they're set up to be our kryptonite and it just felt like again we've given them a way into this game like you say they haven't earned it but we've just given them a way into this game so half time for me I was frustrated at the fact it was 1-0 although I felt look we're on top I knew we were going to be on top I knew we'd have the ball I knew we'd create some chances but probably not clear cut ones and it was just can we take them yep yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, we come out after half time, and pretty quickly, my uh, positive feeling about where we were in the game is rewarded versus your downright negativity. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and we pick up where we left off in terms of uh, just harassing them. Our front line harassed them. Gabby Martinelli had a a great game down the left wing. I thought what you'd mentioned earlier about Saka and some of the things that we've thought, oh, maybe you should take on a player. Maybe you should cut onto that left foot and try and get a shot off more and stuff like that. They were doing that in the first half or, or make the right choices. The interplay down both wings with the winger and the fullbacks was... Really, really good. Really, really yeah. good. And it linked up very well with what was then being 
uh, created and what was happening in the middle with Xhaka moving into places that he, you know, the positions he's now getting into, uh, same with Erdegaard. So, Jesus after, was it, is it Ben White that plays the ball in? I'm trying to think how that ball comes in in the foot. No, it was, it was Saka, wasn't it? Shooting. Saka, Saka comes in, cuts in on the on his left, and uh, and has a shot like we were saying that we we want him to do, and uh, spilled by um, Loris, and that in itself isn't uh, unexpected. It's not often you see a keeper catch a shot like that that's kind of just off the ground, uh, and and with other defenders there, it's often that you'd see them palm it away to the you know to the side around the goal. Um, but he did try and stop it somehow, let it go, and then Jesus is right there on the shoulder. The the thing I liked about that whole thing was uh, once the shot comes in, and they in the replays you see it when Jesus then goes to poke it out after it had gone underneath Loris and so on. There were three Arsenal players across the width of the goal. They were narrow and they were all pressing to follow up that chance and that opportunity and to pick up and be predatory on an opportunity like this. And that, for me, was so pleasing to see as well as a side note. But yeah, Jesus, who we know is a scrapper, we know is a fighter, gets in and is dogged and pokes it home. And even to continue the stat that Arsenal score more goals with their left foot than their right foot, Make sure that as the ball touches the line, he then follows up and kicks it in with his left foot after Partey had uh, put the percentages up for the right-footed goals earlier. Um, so, mate, I, I was dancing. I was absolutely dancing, trying to be somewhat muted as it's early in the morning and I wasn't in a public space. And uh, I, I thought we were so worth our lead. Um and that's why this is this. I'm still just mind blown by um, kind of what we've talked about earlier. But this is good, right? This is what we don't want it to always be that we see things exactly the same. Um, but how did you see that point in the game that we've gotten that second goal? Are you just at a point of relief because of how you're feeling at halftime, or were you like, yes, there we go? As soon as we've come out from the second half whistle, we've dominated again, and this is where we should be and what we deserve to be. Yeah, it's like two different halves. Because I think at half time, I'm thinking we need to come out and make a fast start and get back ahead as quick as we can. And the moment we do, I think it changes the game because I don't think that Spurs really have enough in them to score a couple of goals. I think they might get, they might have got one or, or thought they might get one against us. But um, yeah, it just it, it felt good. That positivity came rushing back, mate. Don't worry about that. I was positive for the second half. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's like you say, it's, it's a great strike from Saka, cutting in, getting a shot away. And it's a poacher's goal for Gabriel Jesus. Just another string to his bow. Like he's the complete striker. We mentioned it a few weeks ago. He can do everything. And he's another great asset to his game that he can be there and react quickly and get those cheap goals they're the ones that you know all the old school strikers always say you'll get like five or six Gary Lineker's always saying that if you're in that spot you'll get five or six a season 
and there he is. There, there's one of them. It doesn't have to be. Um, you mentioned earlier he's fantastic, like jinking dribble into the box and, and that toe punch shot, which is incredible. It doesn't have to always be like that for him. It doesn't have to be really difficult movements. It can just be standing in front of the goalkeeper. And when you've got someone like Lloris, who's been massively overrated for his whole career and always <laughs> spills things like that, always makes mistakes, be around him because you know he, he, he'll fuck it up and you just have to be there in the right position, definitely. Yeah. So that's that. That was good. And from I think from that moment we took the initiative. And I thought second half, second half there was no chance they were getting back into the game. That's when I really thought we put our foot on the neck. Is that a is that a phrase? Yeah. Yeah. We we completely pressed them really well. We we did everything we needed to do at a higher level than the, we did in the first half, and that gave me a load of confidence. Um, going into the moment when they they get themselves a red card from yeah. Emerson Royale with cheese. <laughs> Royale with cheese. One of the most insane one of the most insane red cards I've seen. Um because Martinelli's going nowhere. It just seemed like a real it didn't seem like that sort of game. There wasn't a a real bite and tension to things before that happened. It seemed like it had come out of nowhere. What was your reading of it? Yeah, you, you mentioned how it didn't feel like that game. I, again, you you messaged me before the game, Anthony Taylor, thumbs up or thumbs down. And I said to you, he is the best referee for Arsenal. Uh, I do feel that he was like a 12th man in that cup final win against Chelsea. I, we were going to win that game anyway, but he certainly helped. And... Nine times out of ten, I'm very happy with his performances as a referee. And this comes down to just how he chose to referee the game because it wasn't particularly um, the shithousery kind of tackles and the niggly stuff, like what Son did to um, to Holding at their place last season. It was just a, a game of some pretty full-blooded tackles uh, a little bit of the handbags in terms of there was a period where I think Erdegaard was clearly pulling on the shirt of one of the Tottenham players, but earlier on in the piece, the Tottenham player would be pulling on him and, and Anthony Taylor just kind of let it go. And I think that, that the game flowed really well because of it as a whole. Yeah, I think in that period between us scoring the second goal, we had that mindset that you had, I had, and I think everyone else had, I think that permeated Tottenham. And we'll come on to like the punctuation of that in a moment, uh, post-red card. Because, like you say, Martinelli's going nowhere, uh, but is having a great game and being dogged and doing his job at getting back uh, and so on. And the red card itself, the, the tackle isn't necessary and I've watched a few different coverages of it. So the commentators on the Premier League feed were like, it's absolutely a red card. What a, what a silly tackle to have made. Um, the guy for the BBC on Match of the Day didn't think it was a red card, thought it was harsh. Um, people in the studios, pretty universally, from BT Sport to Match of the Day, from Premier League. Premier League, by the way, who randomly had Manu Petit and Dimitar Berbatov on their panel 
Like, when are those guys ever pundits? That was refreshing. Um, all thought, you know, uh, a red card, which is good because I was worried in a way when you saw that he, you, you heard, you, we were seeing the replays and then you heard obviously the crowd's reaction. So I'd known he then got sent off and we saw the replay. And for me, it should be a red card because we have certainly fallen foul of that. I think, was it Aubameyang at Palace a couple of seasons ago on like yeah. a really, really nothing kind of challenge, which was lighter than what this one was, uh, got a red card. On the Jacometer, it's a def- definite red card. So it was deserved. And I think this is what I mean about we had broken Tottenham at this point. They didn't have anything. And although it didn't come across as a natural tackle made out of frustration I think that we had just permeated their their mindset that they weren't getting anything from this game at this point they knew that they weren't playing well enough to do anything and that we were playing too good for them so yeah red card send it off uh, and rightly so we then not too long after I can't actually remember the exact amount of time that had lapsed between that happening seal the deal with the with the third goal um all the time and this is the punctuation if you will of why i think we had broken tottenham there's four subs lined up on the side of the pitch after the red card yeah conte's conte's throwing in the towel at that point because the players that he takes off are the players who are going to get them back into the game not like Dan Skip isn't going to come on and score two goals and and turn this fixture around for them. The that said to me, as soon as I saw those four players lined up, and I was just like, if he takes, like, there's none of them are exactly world beaters coming off the bench for a start. Like that bench isn't particularly amazing. So I was thinking like, how it must be some sort of big change at the back. Maybe he's going to do uh, some sort of three at the back and flood players forwards. Uh. He, he gave up. And I think that that's where Tottenham were, even at 2-0 with 11 v 11, that they'd kind of given up. Because, yeah, once that red card had happened and those changes then happened after the goal, because I think we scored before they got the chance to make them, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it was only five minutes between the red and that Xhaka goal. But yeah, there was a there was a moment where they were saying on the commentary there was five subs, so I thought he was going to go for just get a, a little bit of uh, Premier League history and just make five subs for for a bit of banter. But yeah, um, just ta- you know to take something from the game because they had nothing else. I thought you know he might get that little record on his CV. <laughs> but yeah, it um, was a it, it was a block of substitutions that said game over. We've got you know Europe in the week and. You know, let's let's just see the rest of the game out and not not get any worse. That's that's what it looked like to me, and I guess after the goal, that's sort of how the last twenty minutes played out. It it, it didn't look too much like we wanted to push and and do much more. We didn't need to. There's no there's absolutely no need to, and uh, even the changes we made, I thought the players came on and it was a little bit disrupted. It it, it didn't really flow that well. We had the ball, but we didn't really. Um, looked like we had too much intent on getting a, a fourth. It, it just felt like, you know, stay focused, let's see this out, and, you know, we, we've already done the job. 
yeah and so that's where i am with that particular kind of part to that game i just think we had tottenham beaten you know all over and so we uh get the third goal with with Xhaka being put through and shifting the ball from one side to the other you know dummies the tottenham player to get it onto his left foot and then squirts it into the bottom right hand corner and yeah another goal for him this season and he is playing really really well and i've got to hold my hands up like we you know it is the whole story with him that three years ago you'd have never believed it i stood in front of the tv on that day against palace and i was spitting just rage and saying all sorts of stuff about him like never play for my club again etc etc like you can't like don't get me wrong i've never agreed with people who go after players on social media and stuff like this i've never like i've yelled stuff from the stands um and have been part of that collective voice but i'm not someone who then seeks people out on social media and says ridiculous stuff like that uh, and I find that absolutely abhorrent. But at that moment from that Palace thing, I was like, I never want to see him play for the club again and have kept that mentality for a long time because of his liability um, traits as well. But here he is, and, and good on him is all I can say. That shows character, and he is bringing that character to the team. It's not just a story about him. It's a story about us and the character that we've shown that Tottenham got back into the game. Yet we didn't let it phase us. We went out and we, we dominated again from, from the second half whistle. So kudos to him. He got man of the match as well. His first ever man of the match for Arsenal in seven years. Um, and I was surprised by that because I thought Saliba was man of the match. I thought he... He, for me, was, and that's what I was talking about earlier, uh, that I'd kind of come round to this. I thought that Saliba had had a brilliant game, nicking the ball from Tottenham uh, attackers with ease, like just being alongside them and, and being able to rob them of possession. Um, but fair play to Xhaka for, for getting that award, getting the goal, sealing the deal, and, and sending that lot off home, feeling absolutely traumatised, mugged off and stupid like they should should feel. So uh, that was lovely. I mean, obviously I was lucky to be there last year and see the same same scoreline, 3-1 domination and see the uh, away end empty long before the uh, final whistle. So uh, it was nice to see another carbon copy of that. Um, I had a few friends at the game that were there that I not normally pegged down as uh, match going fans as well. So I hope that they had a good time. Uh, and then obviously the usual lot all round mate. I was just absolutely buzzing. And then I went to bed <laughs> so, <laughs> so, because I hadn't, uh, I hadn't slept. Why did you sleep after it? In the bill. Well, I didn't, I was, I was lying in bed for about an hour, uh, kind of still pretty jazzed about it all. And, um, did struggle to get off to sleep. Uh, random thing that then happened while I was sleeping, I ended up having a dream. I'd had a couple of dreams about the football this week in the build-up to it. And I'd had another one post-game 
and I had a dream that I was in my old uh, season ticket spot in block 14. So that's uh, where the camera looks, just to the left of the cannon, uh, in line with the penalty area. And I had a dream that Harry Kane committed a foul in front of the Arsenal dugout, a really nasty one that kind of like walloped someone off the pitch. And before I knew it and had any control over my senses, I was on the pitch in outrage at this foul. And I came to a stop realising, shit, I'm on the pitch. The fans all kind of were like, there's someone like run on the pitch. And then I quickly ran back, hopped over the the, uh, fence again. But the ref came and finds me and gives me a red card. And I'm trying to explain to him, like, oh, I didn't mean it. Like, I, I totally, it's not, it's not in my character. Um, and then he actually kind of took a bit of pity while the stewards are trying to find me to kick me out. And I'm then running around like the concourse in and out, kind of like uh, an old Laurel and Hardy sketch of like me running down one set of steps and across the front while the stewards are going. And so, yeah, that was my dream after the game. And I woke up feeling so worried that I defended Arsenal and I was never going to get to watch them again. So, was, yeah. Just a bit random for you and the listeners there. <laughs> that would have been a stadium ban if you'd have done that, mate. Um, <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, actually, we we didn't mention something there. There was a little kick out by Mr. Harry Kane. Harry Kane um, on Gabriel. That yeah. he got away with again. And I think it's worth mentioning because it's, it's one in the line of plenty moments where Harry Kane again gets away with something, whether it's his... Um, sharp elbows, as you've mentioned before, or you know his little spiteful kick out. But there's another one that I thought, if there's another player, the the referee looks at that differently, or that you know certainly the VAR has has a look at that one. And I've seen players punished for that offence, and I've seen England captains not punished for that offence. Um, so we'll just add that to the book of of another one. Um, but you know when he's when he's losing and when it's frustration coming out, I love to see it. I love to yeah. see it, and no, obviously no damage was done to our player. So um, you know, so be I, it. I felt it was just a case of Gabriel didn't make uh, a meal of it, to be honest, and that was why there was no attention brought to it. Um, but speaking of VAR, though, for the game, the challenge on Gabriel in the second half in the box they said on the commentary on both commentaries because obviously I I watched it again on on match of the day um, later as well that by the time we'd gotten the ball back over to the other side of the box VAR check is done it's complete and they've already decided that it's not a penalty and on match of the day they only showed the really crappy replay of um, dugout pitch side looking at it. Whereas from behind the goal, you can quite clearly see he gets kicked by Dyer. Um, whether it's enough for a penalty, it it falls into the category of, well, I've seen them given. Uh, if it was against us and it was given, uh, I'd be upset. But this is Arsenal. So, of course, I've seen them given against us. Um, so I felt we should have probably had a penalty, to be honest. Um, when it comes to that, I thought the check was done pretty, pretty bloody quickly, um, without really giving it a moment to maybe check all the angles. 
but uh, it was irrelevant anyway to the outcome of the game. Uh, one little note, Gabriel should have then really finished the game off with a header that obviously he got the opportunity to try and score. Seconds later, when the ball came back in and he just nodded it wide and, and to go back to what you were saying about how he's the complete package, I think the fact that he has the ability to head goals like that, yet he's not a demonstrative six foot three um, attacker of that ilk. Uh, Giroud would obviously be the quickest and easiest example to make that he was good with his head. Um, Jesus is all round, just has so much, and it's such a delight to see. Such a delight to see. Um, and yeah. Scenes at the end of the game, everyone's going berserk, everyone's happy. Harry Kane straight over to the referee saying, didn't you get the memo sent from the FA that I'm the England captain and that I have to win every game? Um, I'm looking forward to when Saka's the England captain and then we can be afforded all of these uh, luxuries. Um, and yeah, just, just buzzing, mate, just buzzing. It's always great to win the derby. Uh, I was just gutted that obviously having the taste of being back last year and being there for it and not being this year. But I think uh, I'll plan a trip back to the UK for uh, September, October next year to see family slash go to the Arsenal. We'll come back for the um, open top bus parade, surely. He's nodding. He's nodding. (laughs) (laughs) He's nodding. I know that I've talked about this stuff on the pod previously but that's kind of to invoke chat if we're actually going to talk about it i'm still very happy that we're talking about man city having to win to catch you know to close the gap on us like when i was talking to frankie this morning about i've got to put the city game on you know or they need to get a win to close the gap on us at this point of the season it's still great you know eight games uh it's still only uh you know, a quarter of the season. There's a long way to go. But there's no better place to be than top. Um, It's, you know, Arsenal this season, top fact for you, Arsenal haven't lost to any of the teams above them in the league this year. Brilliant. Because guess what, listeners? There's been no team above Arsenal all year. And I'm just going to hold on to that for as long as it will go. To be honest, we, this this next month is going to be uh, up and down. I do think this next month is going to be up and down. We have those injury worries that we've talked about. Zinchenko, who had a very solid game, played really well throughout it. But second half, he looked leggy after his um, few weeks out. Partey, that we're not sure how he is from uh, game to game. Erdegaard hopefully should be back and all right. Um, and then the rest of them, it's just kind of keeping them fit because we haven't got a, a a full 11 to change up for the European games. You know, players like Grand Xhaka are likely to play on Thursday. Uh, Sambi will likely come in alongside him and give Partey the night off. Uh, Reese Nelson might be able to be used instead of Saka. Marquinhos can be used instead of Martinelli at least. Um, but who do we really have to take Erdegaard's spot? Um, especially with Smith Rowe now out after having having surgery. 
uh, and Katia is the obvious choice to to be up front. Um, but there are a few players that you feel need to play because we don't really have anyone else, and we've gotten rid of that initial um, reserve players, the Charlie Patinos, the following Balagans, who are out on loan as part of their development at the moment, which is why we obviously had to play Winery last week, uh, a few weeks ago against uh, Brentford. So uh, it's going to be an up and down month. We've got a big game next weekend, obviously against Liverpool, who had another topsy-turvy time of it at Anfield. Brighton are a team that have been playing really well this season. Obviously, have had a change of manager that they wouldn't have been too thrilled about, but uh, picked up where they left off as well. And I think Klopp said that you know their confidence is low. Another poor start. Arsenal have been about in the games that we've done really well in. We've been all about trying to make fast starts. You posed me a ridiculous conundrum before the game against Tottenham about do I want two points or three points? And I said, I want four. And you were like, no, you're not allowed four. Um, to be honest, where we are right now, I think six is is where I am. I think I, I, I think we go into next week looking good. Like Liverpool coming away from home after bad performances and Arsenal where we are with our confidence, with our mentality, we should look at next week and and really go for it and, you know, shut some of these people up who say, oh, you can't do it against the other teams around you. Like, well, you know, give them a chance. Like, we can only do it when it comes to playing them. So don't bang on about it when our fixtures are Brentford and Bournemouth, right? Talk about it and talk about those games on the merit. And when these games come, talk about these games on their merit. So there you go. We've taken on Tottenham. We were third in the table and just behind us and we've beaten them. Now we see what happens next week. And I feel really confident for it, personally. We'll, we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah, it is a huge game, like you say, and a huge month. Loads of games. So um, we'll see where we are. Like I said, last last time we recorded, after this Liverpool game, that's the time to discuss whether we're um, really contenders uh, and we're really going to be in this for the long long haul. Um, but we'll, we'll see after that game. Yeah, yeah, we will. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about for the Tottenham game? Um, I will just say one more thing on Tottenham because I think it's worth saying. They are... Or they have massively overperformed so far. Like their results have been not indicative of the sort of team they are or the sort of football they played. And I'm so glad that they've got hiding. They've had one result that has really changed the course of their season and given them some goals. That was that Leicester game where they scored six. And apart from that, I think they've been pretty horrendous in every single game. And the the fact that they get any attention in the media as the team that might be the ones who could challenge Man City is ridiculous. Um, so I, I'm glad, not just from a Arsenal point of view, but I'm glad for the rest of the league that it's pretty much put to bed that this Spurs team is shit. And 
the way that they play football is a disaster. I wouldn't want to watch them. They stink the place out. And, um, yeah, fuck them. Well, I mean, Tottenham do get battered everywhere they go. I've heard. Yeah, I've heard. <laughs> a few people were saying that, apparently. A couple, uh, couple of people have said I've that. Heard, yeah, um, I've heard that. But you are right. I did actually think at the point where Conte made those subs and throughout think of watching them play, I was like, it would be horrible to support that team and have to watch that type of football um, and pretend that you enjoy it. And they, I think they mentioned in the commentary that Tottenham are the team that have come behind the most this season. I mean, that, that says a lot to you. Yeah, they've got the character to maybe have done the coming from behind, but they are, you can get at them. They're not this amazing team. Uh, and I think, like you say, they've flattered to deceive throughout the season so far. And we took them on toe-to-toe and we we dominated them like we should, as we have for many of the years that you and I have supported them. Yeah, they've managed to pull themselves up a little bit from from their more lowlier places in the league. But still, they're, they're just shit. I just hate them. Um, and yeah, they get bad everywhere they go. I think that's enough of that. I think we've had enough from them. Um, shall we move on? We'll move on. Well, big thanks again for listening. We're uh, going to start chatting now about Fantasy Premier League. Talk about the Turnstiles and Tribulations League. Uh, we're eight games in. Obviously, some teams haven't played that many, but we're we're eight games into the season. And the table of the Turnstiles and Tribulations League is taking shape. Chris, how was your weekend in regards to fantasy? <laughs> uh, I... I... I already told you what I was going to do, right? Um, and I doubled down on it. Triple captain, Gabriel Jesus. I believe in the guy. I wanted him to score. He did score. He didn't get booked. It went well enough to me. And I thought there'll be some bonuses there as well. I was happy. Saturday evening, I was happy with my... <laughs> choices with everything I'd done. I knew that City were still playing, but not easy, a derby, you know, not easy. So I thought on Saturday night, I've got this in the bag. I've got this in the bag. I'm going to be drawing back the points on you. Um, and then obviously <laughs> it's sort of falling apart a bit because everybody's got Haaland as a captain. Yeah, granted, but the you have taken a few points out of my lead on you. Um, and something that you mentioned there that was quite key, uh, Jesus didn't get booked. So that was really important, obviously, to make sure that he can now play the Liverpool game. And if he gets booked in that game, that's fine. He misses Leeds. Um, I, I can live with that. So that that was another thing to kind of make note of. Before today's game, before Haaland, who we know is the most picked player in fantasy and is also the most captain player at the moment uh, in fantasy history. Before today's game, it felt like a pretty mediocre week for points. The other games in the league yesterday were, you know, 
other than the Bournemouth um, Brentford game, there were no clean sheets to be had. There was uh, injuries to some key fancy Premier League players. Mitrovic going off without getting a goal for Fulham, uh, going yeah. off injured. No idea uh, as to what the injury for him and the severity as such. Um, and you're right, you you triple captain Jesus. You 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 stood stood on that hill early in the season. Once we decided that obviously you and I would have our own. Uh, inter-table forfeit of whoever loses out of us two. Which, by the way, we're still yet to receive any good or meaningful forfeits. So just a reminder, if, if you don't already know, just out of Chris and I, whoever comes lower at the end of the season will have to do a forfeit. So if you've got anything good that you think would be useful to throw out there, do hit us up on social media. You can find us on Facebook at Turnstiles and Tribulations, uh, on Twitter at AFC Turn underscore Trib, and on Instagram at uh, Turn underscore Trib. So get at us and, and let us know. But yeah, you did that. And to be honest, you, you got a decent amount of points there. There are people out there who will make and use a triple captain and not get that much. So I wouldn't worry. I don't think I've ever had a triple captain that's broken into uh, into the high numbers. But yeah, I did have Haaland as my skipper who got three goals and an assist um, and will likely end up with all... Oh, I got two assists in the end. Uh, so yeah, he's got all the bonus points. Happy days. Yeah, it would have been a great week to triple captain Haaland. But I had used my wildcard. So... I uh, I hadn't, but like I say, it's a bit of a middling part of the season. There isn't really too much change in the league. Um, everyone has scored pretty well. From top to bottom, everyone has scored pretty highly. Uh, a surprising one, actually, Martin Wisely, who's uh, down in 11th. A 56 for him on a, on a week where there are some big numbers out there to be had. That surprises me as he's often a pretty good fantasy player. Uh, you got 83. Um, Ryan Sarsfield, who's uh, in seventh, got 89, although he'll be desperately unhappy with the uh, Man United result this weekend. Hi, Ryan. How are you? Um, it's pretty much everything is the same. A couple of people have got out ahead of me. You've caught up some space. So in terms of the league... Nothing big just yet, but this leads me on to what I was going to talk about. In fantasy at the moment, a lot of teams are quite similar. We've talked about how Salah isn't the number one FPL pick. Uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold no longer seems like the premium defender to have. Uh, There are good value options from 8 million down to 6 million even less if you count someone like Granit Xhaka, who's now chipping in with goals and assists. Um, There are some really good players in there who can score you some points, especially in that midfield region, um, for anywhere between six to eight million. And it's now up to us to find those differentials. Um, Who is that player who other people do not have that is going to do it for us? And... I 
got off the Liverpool boat completely this week. I dropped Luis Diaz out of my team because I felt like with him and his international travel and the wealth of players that um, Liverpool have up front, that he would be rotated. So I uh, I brought in Zaha, which was a bit of a pain in my gut to have to do. I also brought in Son, which was a bit of a pain in my gut to do. But I've done it because I think they will score goals on this run of fixtures that both teams now have before we break for the World Cup. Um, you've already played your World Cup, right? Do you not feel dirty having Son in your team? <laughs> yeah, like I say, I, and I, I, if, if, if we rewind back to the opening or the second podcast of the season uh, and what I was saying about Zaha, mate, I feel incredibly unclean uh, having both of them in my team. Especially but, because you've you brought you brought Son in in the week that. We play only him. because only because I'm I don't know what you can say. There's only because and, and this and that. Yeah, I, I'm just no, stating the facts of the situation. It is, I understand that, but I where I'd gotten a team just up to this point that was a very well-rounded team. It was causing me too many headaches. I had three players on the bench and a goalkeeper as well that all could on their day score points. And I'd rather go back to just having uh, eleven players that pick themselves because it was yeah. driving me a bit. It was driving me a bit nuts to think, oh, should I play the Brighton player this week who's gotten a few uh, goals going and, and take out the Martinelli who may or may not score for us um, and things like that. So the only reason Son came in was because I was playing my wild card this week. I felt that it was the right time to do it with the run of fixtures that are coming. Um, I also wanted to do it before price changes happened. And I was playing when tinkering with my team just hours before the deadline. And FPL then went and increased um, Zaha um, and I think Son as well and someone else who I had in my team. And I got away with it because if they'd have made that increase even a couple of hours earlier, I wouldn't have been able to field that team that I've now got. So I've got Madison, Son, Martinelli and Zaha across the midfield. And I've still got Mitrovic, Jesus and Haaland up front. For me, that midfield leaves me with a premium priced player. It's not a premium player because it's Son and he plays for Tottenham and there's nothing premium about that. But I've got stored value in there. Sterling was my other option. I was quite keen to maybe put Sterling in but off the back of playing two games for England I was like mm, I don't know if he'll have it Palace also are proving not to be uh, an easy side to beat so I didn't think that Chelsea were going to run right in that game which they didn't they uh, they didn't particularly um, separate themselves from Palace it took a, a bit of a worldy goal from Conor Gallagher late on in the piece to uh to get the result there for them. So that's where my mind is at. I have gone for some differentials because not too many people have the Madison, Son, Zaha combination, especially in our league right now. So I'm banking on that to help. 
obviously with the injury injury sorry to Mitrovic we'll see what happens there are managers going to have to make a decision who would you bring in if Mitrovic is out for two weeks um good question because I haven't got him um but I would oh. again I, I always look like I said mate I look at the fixtures and I will make my decision based on basically next week <laughs> and uh, <laughs> who I think will score points um, next week. Fair I would enough. say, um, I, I think the sort of strikers who will score goals at the moment are, I mean, maybe Newcastle have got some goals in them. I don't know how much um, Isaac is, but um, I like him and, and Callum Wilson, I think, scored a goal or two over the weekend. So maybe there. I know Skamaka scored for West Ham. Um, who was one that um, I would have looked at at the start of the um, start of the season? So maybe he's got some goals in him. Um, yeah. they, they'd be two that jump off the page to me who have scored um, recently, who might be able to run into a bit of form. Um, it's just really difficult to tell, isn't it? I mean, I mean that's the game anyway. But it is. Um, Did, I, I see what you're top... trying to do with some differentials. Um, it, it definitely makes sense to have players who other people don't have, but at the same time, there's a reason why people don't have them. I would say, um, but and I look at you got- Madison, and I think Leicester are awful, and I don't know, I, I, I can't see him scoring much. And then I look at Sun, and I think Spurs are awful. So um, <laughs> they wouldn't be players that jumped out to me, but you're ahead of me, so you know more about this than I do. For the moment, maybe I've made a, a terrible mistake. But again, with uh, I think it's like six or seven fixtures before the World Cup break, and then we get a, another free reign of transfers at that point. It was it felt like the right time for me and how I've played it so far, based on what's happened to the way that the game is played this year, because of players like Salah not being the dependable, reliable double points every week um, returner. So here's a a little tidbit for you. Uh, Just over, well, just under 7,500 Man United fans. So that's when you you join the game and you select the team you support. So that's how they differentiate it. So just under 7,500 Man U fans triple captained Erling Haaland this week. Right. Yeah, I mean they're 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 fans who know their team. <laughs> so well, this this is it. I mean, it it makes sense. Uh, I obviously couldn't play it this week because um, because of using the wild card. But I don't think I'd have particularly picked this fixture for them to completely run riot like they had anyway. If I'm if I'm brutally honest, so uh, yeah, very. Very interesting. Um, I mean, ne- next week might be the one, you know. I know that um, you're not going to use your triple captain, but Man City at home to Southampton. Southampton are in awful form. And, you know, Haaland can't stop scoring. It seems to me like that's that's one that people might pull the trigger on. But at the same time with City, do you not think that there are times where when they play teams that they can, it's like playing with food, right? when they can do it so easily, they just kind of don't. And they'll win that game maybe only 2-0 or 3-0 at best. Do you know what I mean? You kind of just get, because they're so bad, 
and they don't have much about them. There's no kind of vavavoom to them, no kind of special source that City will just be like, oh, this is almost too easy. We'll just pass it around a bit. Oh, Pep's shouting at us. Oh, okay, hold on. We'll, we'll knock another goal in then. Um, I find that that can happen sometimes. Yes, but they also battered. Did they batter Forest and batter Bournemouth? So, yeah. um, and I, don't know, who knows? I suppose the other big thing is they aren't top of the league, so they need to catch up. Who's top? Uh, that would be Arsenal. Huh. Um, so yeah, the um, another point to make from the Man City Man United game, Casemiro sat on the bench after now being there for a month and is only on the bench. Does that say to you, I wasn't bought by Ten Hag, I was bought by the board? Uh, um, good question. I, I don't know. I don't know why he's not playing him. I mean, there's... Because... That, that's, I mean, to discuss Man United would be a whole other podcast. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't think I have the will... <laughs> <laughs> to, to talk for them for an hour because there's also the the um, interest in Harry Maguire question as well today because Varane yeah. went off injured and um, Ten Hag decided not to bring Harry Maguire on. He put Lindelof uh, he on. wasn't in the he wasn't in the squad. Apparently, right, picked okay. up a hamst- apparently he picked up a hamstring injury while playing terribly for England. So that's why. So he wasn't actually even in, on the bench as he was there. Just to is this, is this a real injury or is this a well, I think it's just an easy way to put him, put him back out of the squad because yeah. Ten Hag knows that he's rubbish. You know, drifting into other areas, Southgate clearly is a moron at the moment. Um, after the Euros loss, he seems to have lost all of his magic as well when it comes to England. Um, but again, maybe we can cover that once we actually come to the World Cup. Um, there are some interesting price fallers in in the FPL to maybe be aware of. Um, Ilkay Gundogan has gone down to seven and a half million and uh, Rodri's just picked up an injury. So he might be someone worth bringing in if you've got that kind of money and someone who can get points in the city, city setup. Um, and Casemiro, which is what triggered me to, uh, to bring that up. Casemiro's dropped to 4.9 because it looks like he's a uh, Man United board purchase not a Ten Hag purchase I mean Man United nearly went out and bought who was who was the random guy they went after and everyone was just like hell no don't buy him on out of it Turkey yeah yeah that was it and then they nearly went for Rabio as well who's also would be a mess of a, a player to to go after he's not proven anything in any way shape or form that he's a decent player um special mention obviously to Trossard for his hat trick so I'd said I was worried about Brighton as to whether they would kick on and whether it was worth having Brighton players still in your teams. I think based upon the performance they put in at Anfield that um, I could have been braver. We could have kept some of the Brighton players, but they are sharing it about a bit. So it wasn't McAllister who got the goals. It wasn't Gross. It was all Trossard this week. So it seems like you could pick any one of those three and you may get a return and a good one. And then you could have a few weeks of uh, just picking up 
the odd point here or there, maybe clean sheet points as Brighton do have. Yes, they conceded three, but they do have one of the best defensive records in the league. Um, and yeah, I guess we've got to figure out that if Mitrovic is out injured for those people that have him, um, what you would do and who you would bring in in that, that role. Do you take the money, even though he's not too expensive? Uh, get a cheap striker and add money to maybe have two premium midfielders. I think Kevin De Bruyne is a shout for someone that needs to be in the side after watching how he and Haaland combined. So if I can find a way to maybe bring De Bruyne in, that could be what I do, that I ditch Mitrovic, get the cheapest uh, attacking player possible in the game to allow the money to get De Bruyne. So, do you know what? I might even do that this afternoon before prices go up on players. Good thinking. Good thinking, yeah, like that. Yeah, it's a good tactic to take. Um, but, yeah, let us know your thoughts. Again, engage with us. Uh, social media is the easiest way. Um, maybe we can even post up pictures of our teams at the moment and, and post up what you're doing, what you're thinking, what's your strategy around fantasy. Are you struggling? Are you needing one of your players to score hat-trick after hat-trick to have any chance of catching up? Are you in it for the long game? Do you think that small incremental, five points here, ten points there, will chip away um, at Michael Hinton, who's at the top of the league um, at the moment? Like, Let us know what you're thinking. Uh, little Darves is 20-odd points ahead of me, which is frustrating the hell out of me. So we need to fix that. If you're listening, Darves, I'm coming for you. And tell your brother to get in the league as well. Yeah, that's all I've got. Yeah, nothing more to add, mate. Um, I think you've covered all bases there. You mean I've just prattled on for a long time about fantasy? I think you've covered all bases there. <laughs> right, well, yeah, we, uh, we can leave it there. Uh, a fantastic weekend for all Arsenal fans. Um it has been proven yet again that North London is red. Uh, it has been proven that Tottenham do get battered everywhere they go. Um, we have also scientifically proven that if you ask people what do they think of Tottenham, they all concur. They do think that they're shit. Well, that about wraps it up. Uh, we've prattled on for long enough. So thanks for sticking with us if you are still here at the end. We will do a short podcast after the Europa League game that we've got on Thursday in the group stage. We're playing Bodo Glimt, so we will get something out there before our next game against Liverpool as well. So, yeah, that's it from me. I'm going to say goodbye. Chris, anything for the up, listeners? Up the Arsenal and goodbye. Lovely. All right, we'll catch you later.